Nobody can celebrate like people who know the Lord. No music like the music about the Lord. Amen? The Christmas message is a Christian truth that is the beginning of the end of anything that's rooted in sin that plagues man. In other words, like fear, the end of fear, the, the beginning of the Christmas story and the Christian story is the end of fear. And any other thing that's rooted in sin, the do not fear, you, you must have noticed, comes up frequently in the Christmas story. As a matter of fact, uh, here are uh, some examples. Joseph, in Matthew chapter 1, and verse 20, he was afraid to take Mary his wife. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And then three times in the book of Luke, the same phrase, do not be afraid. The phrase, do not be afraid, is 300, and they say, I've encountered it myself, 365 times in the Bible. But there in, uh, with Zacharias, John the Baptist's father, in Luke chapter 1, and, and verse 13, he, he gets an angelic announcement. He's afraid. The angel says, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you'll call his name John. What did the angel say to him? Do not be afraid. And then you have the example of Mary, the beautiful example of Mary that we love so much to read. And the scriptures here the, in the birth narrative are so rich and beautiful, and they mean so much to us. The angel says to her, What? Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. An angelic understatement, right? Mary, you have found. I guess she did. And what did he say to her? Her natural thing. I suppose if we talked with an angel, our natural reaction would be fear because we're talking about a very frightening angelic being looking. And he says, don't be afraid. And don't be afraid to do what God says. And, of course, then you have this beautiful story, the shepherds, which we all love so much. And these, you think about this, you know, if you go to the Middle East today and you see, you know, the Bedouin shepherds, are, there are still Bedouin shepherds there. I say it with respect for humanity, the lowest rung on the cultural ladder are the shepherds. The poorest and the most disenfranchised. I mean, they're living on the, on the desert and they have water brought to them and the places where nobody else lives, those shepherds live. And God, who, these, these ceremonially unclean shepherds are the first ones who get this angelic birth announcement. And, and the story is in Luke 2, of course. The angel said to them, what? Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. So again, you know, four times, right from the beginning, you have a hint that the beginning of the Christmas story is the end of fear And everything else that's rooted in sin. The advent of Jesus is the beginning of the end of fear. The appearing of Jesus is the beginning of the end of fear. You say, I still have some. Right. But it's temporary if you know the Lord. Going to go away. There are resources to fight against it. That's what we're going to talk about today. And the heart of the Christmas story is the good news that conquers fear and worry and sadness and loneliness. And confusion, like, why did God let these bad things happen to me? And so I appreciate your feedback that I've received from many of you 
over the last few weeks that these messages are helpful and meaningful to you. And it makes, breaks my heart for you because it makes me realize how much pain, how much hardship, how many difficulties people are going through. And so as the Lord's helped me help others, I decided to extend this series to the last week in December 2 and talk about what to do when bad things happen. Specific things, specific steps to take what to do when, when bad things happen to us from the Bible. And so what I've really done in these series is a little sloppy I like to go to one place in the Bible and explain that one place in the Bible and then move to the next place in the Bible. And that's what we normally do here. And that's what we will normally do here. But for a few weeks, what we're doing is kind of a systematic theology of today, fear. Or last week, a systematic theology of joy. Not comprehensive. But what I'm saying is this. There are real answers in God's Word, the Bible, for whatever it is that's breaking your heart right now. There are real answers in God's Word, the Bible, not just like band-aids, but real answers from God's Word, the Bible, on whatever it is that's so hard for you, you can't even talk about it right now. Whatever problem it is that you have has not escaped God's attention or His notice or His power. He sees, He knows, He cares, and there are things to do. There are steps that can be taken. So faithful people, they go to their knees, they go to the Word, and they look through the Word for wisdom. They look through the Word of God for help. And God is faithful to be there to help them, to help us. And that's what I've done as a pastor, is to think in terms of the great medicine cabinet of God's Word. What is it that could help God's people here? And so I won't say everything, and will not be comprehensive. You wouldn't want it to be, right? Because it would like be really long. And we have a children's program we're looking forward to, and cookies afterward, and all of that. This is a big highlight of the year tonight. So just for a few moments, I want to share some things that will help and apply these and apply more and get personal counsel and let's talk some more. Give me feedback what's helped you. But I'll begin here by going through about some things. Here, here, here quickly, let me talk about when fear is good. Sometimes fear is good. There's the fear of God, and that's good. The Bible commends the fear of God. Can't explain all that right now. There's a lot of ink in the Bible on the fear of God. But, it's, it's, it, but one, you know, kind of like, uh, one way to say it is the beginning, fear, fearing God is the end of all other fear. But, but fear of the fear of God is good. It's, the, it's because of the fear of God that we repent. We change our minds. We're converted. We confess. We forsake sin. This is good fear. And it's good that we have the fear of God. Uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 28, there's a warning there to the people of God. That they should fear God and that without Christ, that their life will be characterized by fear of death, by fear of facing God. Listen to this sobering passage in Deuteronomy 28, 65-67. Among those nations you shall not find rest, nor shall the sole of your foot have a resting place. But there the Lord will give you a trembling heart and failing eyes and anguish of soul, and your life will hang in doubt before you, and you will fear day and night, and you will have no assurance of life. And in the morning you shall say, Oh, that it were evening. In the evening you should say, Oh, that it were morning, because of the fear which terrifies your heart and because of the sight which your eyes see. What's this saying? He's saying, if you walk away from me, and if you don't walk toward me, your life is going to be characterized by fear. If you don't know that you know the Lord Jesus as your Savior and have the proper awe, reverence, and fear of God, then your life will be characterized by terrible fear. And it's good because you should fear this until you know that you're right with the Lord. So it would be a good kind of fear. There's also the fear that you ought to have because if you're sinful, and we all are, and we, 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 the, the consequences of our sin, we fear the consequences of our sin, and this fear motivates us to throw ourselves upon God for mercy. 
It makes us hungry for the gospel to be true. Is it true that God sent His only Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, into this world at Christmas to live a sinlessly perfect life, the only one who ever did, to die on the cross to pay for every one of our dark, shameful acts and thoughts? Is that true? If it is, that's the most wonderful news anyone has ever said or has ever heard. And so we fear, yes, that fear drives us to the foot of the cross. It's a good fear. And then our fear is relieved by the Lord. There's, of course, natural fear, which is good for us, right? If you drive without fear, you're probably not wise. Put this seatbelt on. Look both ways. I got a job once working as a roofer. If you're a roofer, hats off to you. I got, I was I, three stories high, and then there was the backfill, it was on a major highway, and it was a steep pitch, and I was inexperienced, and my shoes weren't that good, and I was scared all day. I'm not afraid of heights, I just have a brain. I'm like, I'm working on a steep pitch, I don't know what I'm doing, so I probably should be a little nervous all day, so I cling to the roof. I worked hard, I did what I needed to do. I was so glad when God gave me a job at a furniture store talking to people. I ain't scared to talk to people at all. But I'm telling you, the whole time I worked on the roof, I had this good fear that I should have. And a guy who's really super good or a woman who's really good at working on the roof, might, they might have a, an accident because they didn't have appropriate fear. So there's a natural kind of good fear, and I think that was not an, I still was going to work, right? I still was getting on the roof. I still did what I needed to do, but I had that sense of like, oh boy. When I was a little boy, I remember I got a paper out. I had to remember all the places I had to go, and I would stay awake at night thinking about, well, how am I going to know where to go? Probably a good fear made me think and made me organize my life so that I wouldn't miss. At one time, I thought I'll just order enough papers for the whole neighborhood, give everybody a paper. But like it, was, it wasn't good. The profit margin was really thin when I did that. So I had to figure out where all the papers were. In the dark, I had to throw a paper. And I worried about that as a little boy. I had this fear, probably a good fear, it, it, that motivated me to think carefully and be organized and have a, have a list and use my flashlight to look at the house numbers and, and, and whatever I needed to do. So that kind of fear, if you're talking about that, that's, those are good kinds of fear. So not all fear is bad, but a lot of fear really is. Let me talk about a little bit when fear is bad. Fear can rob you of the joy of life and rob you of the enjoyment of the possessions that you have. I, I met a businessman when we were in, traveled in Mexico in Monterey, and this, this businessman invited us to the fanciest restaurant and the fanciest meal I've ever had in my life. It was served in courses. Waiters, were like, waiters and waitresses were scurrying around you know, with towels over their arms, serving in courses, and it was two languages. It was very interesting. It was, in a, it was on a high mountain in Monterey, and it was uh, in the, the highest hotel on the top floor of this hotel. And this man had a lot of money. Had a big, I rode in his car. A very nice car. His car was probably twice as valuable as my house. Nice car, right? And he had a lot of stuff. What's interesting is the entire time that we were trying to have a meal, he was talking about security in Mexico, which is a big deal here, but especially in Mexico. He was talking about what to do for security, how to hire security. He couldn't enjoy all the possessions that he had. I thought to myself, I, I sleep like a baby every night. I never worry about stealing my, people are going to break in and steal all my theological books. I'm like, I'm not worried about that. You know, I don't go, I hope nobody's stealing my books right now. Nobody's stealing my books. Every once in a while I get a fancy electronic device and if I leave my car unlocked, it's gone in the morning. But I don't have time to worry about it. It's just gone, and I have to buy a newer one. You know, I'll go to the Apple store and just enjoy that. I shouldn't have said that. But anyway, fear can rob you of the joy of life and relationships. It's not good then. And fear can lead you into sin, and this is awful. 
And Satan wants this to happen. He wants you to respond in, uh, to, to the, um, in sin to your temptations. Solomon was probably an example of this. Interesting passage in the Bible. In, in the Song of Solomon, it's describing Solomon's retinue, which you would think would be, well, he's the wealthiest guy around and he's got all this stuff. But it says that he had 60 armed warriors with him um, and they were experts in war, every man with a sword on his thigh. And then there's this interesting phrase, because of fear in the night. When, when David was dying, the thing that he prayed for his son Solomon was what? Solomon, God, make Solomon courageous. Help him not to be afraid. And Solomon began to compromise. There's a theory here. Solomon began to compromise. That's not a theory. I mean, he actually began to compromise, marry foreign wives, and disobey God. And what happened? Because he disobeyed God, his life was characterized by great fear. And the prayer that his father had for him was, was, was not answered in that sense because of his own, because of his own fear. So fear can be, can be bad, and that way can cause you to sin. And irrational fear can keep you from doing what God called you and created you to do. So you can like, fear can mess up. You probably, if you have a fear, you know what I'm talking about. You can't enjoy basic stuff you ought to be able to enjoy that God has given you and things and relationships. You can't do what you really ought to be doing because you're paralyzed or at least you're kind of hamstrung by fear. So these things are bad. And sometimes it's even worse. Sometimes some of you have a problem. A number of you I know have a problem with irrational fear. It just doesn't make us like the guy under the bed or, or worse than just like you fear a home invasion, but you've never had a home invasion and you, but you can't sleep at night because you're sure that every noise is somebody breaking into your house? And it's irrational? You know it's irrational, but it's real fear that you're feeling and debilitating. And sometimes people have, you know, you know there are a list of fears that people have about going out in public or high places or all kinds of things. And I, suppose there's just a, I suppose there's even a fear of preaching somewhere. And none of you have it or you wouldn't be here. I heard once of a freshman at Eagle Rock Junior High School that won first prize in the Idaho Falls Science Fair, April 26, 1997. Thought this was an interesting story. Attempting to show how conditioned we are to alarmist practicing junk science and spreading fear of everything in our environment. So you know, like, right when people are alarmists and spread fear and take advantage of that, or they try to sell you things, because, and they take advantage of your fear to sell you things. It's, a, it's an effective way, fear of loss. I must buy something to protect myself. Well, this young man did a science project. In his project, he urged people to sign a petition demanding strict control or total elimination of the chemical dihydrogen monoxide because of the following reasons. Plenty of good reasons, he said. First of all, it can cause excessive sweating and vomiting. Second, it's a major component in acid rain. Third, it can cause severe burns in its gaseous state. It can ac- it, 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 uh, if you inhale, it can accidentally kill you. Uh, it decreases effectiveness of automobile brakes. It's been found in tumors of terminal cancer patients. He asked 50 people if they supported the ban of this chemical. 43 said yes, signed the petition. Six were undecided. Only one knew the chemical was... Water, H2O, which can be dangerous, they say. And that's a little bit like a lot of fear that paralyzes people. It's irrational fear. Where would irrational fear come from? Well, it's fears that don't make sense. There is such a thing as demonic fear or fear that's introduced by demonic kinds of thinking. And sometimes irrational fears are simply demonic suggestions. And we can see examples of this in the Bible. And that can be countered by truth, and we'll talk about that. But Satan can put thoughts in your mind. Demons can put thoughts in your mind. You say, that makes me scared. That's why I'm talking to you about fear. 
believers should be bold and courageous. To do what we've got to do, we've got to be bold and courageous. We've got to act boldly and be courageous and believe we're right about the things that the Bible says we're right about. If you look in uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18, you see all of that is stand boldly, be courageous. This isn't just men. This is men and women. The stories are going to be coming out of Newtown, right, over and over. But one of them, just a little snippet of a story that just so touched me so deeply was the principal, a woman, a young woman, a principal. When the gunman comes in, she doesn't hide under a desk, right? She charges the guy with an automatic rifle, and he kills her. But she, her last act in this world was an act of bold courage, trying to save those little people. Friends, listen, people are in peril all around us. They're in peril of da- they're in great danger of hell and, and being separated from God forever and having to live in, this, in a horrible way in this life. So you and I must act boldly. We must act courageously. We can't be paralyzed by fear. Fear cannot characterize our lives. So we need to talk about that. And I want to give you, is the best I know how to do it, a, a handles, simple, a simple handles. And this is just the beginning of the discussion. Uh, William Gurnall, writing on the Christian in Complete Armor, who was a Puritan, he wrote this huge thick book just on the Ephesians uh, passage that talks about the Christian's armor. He said something like, he said this, and I'm going to quote it to you. Oh, how ugly, how uncomely a sight it is to see a bold sinner and a fearful saint. How ugly to see sinners that are bold and saints that are fearful, right? Continue with the quote. One is resolved to be wicked, and a Christian is wavering in his holy course. To see guilt put innocence to flight, hell keep the field, and it impudently braving it with displayed banners of open profaneness, and see saints hide their colors for shame, run from them for fear, who should rather wrap themselves in them and die on the place than thus betray the glorious name of God, which is called upon by them to the scorn of the uncircumcised. Which is the fancy Puritan way of saying, believers should be bolder than sinners. More courageous than sinners. Men and women alike should be bold and courageous. So you say, okay, pastor, I want to be, but I'm not. You're going to have to help me. Think about the shepherds, Mary, Joseph, Zacharias, his wife. If they had cowered in fear and not fulfilled their duties, we wouldn't have the beautiful redemptive story that we enjoy throughout all of our lives. What if they had been disobedient because of fear? So here are some handles on fear. These are general truths that you can apply to almost to most fear. And you, but understand this. I'm preaching a message 30 minutes or so on this or so, right? And, and so I can't say everything there is about fear, and I certainly can't say everything there is specifically about your fear. I want to suggest to you that it's an individual thing. Different fears are dealt with in different ways. But here are some general truths that I want to give you to kind of get you started in the right direction. Handles on how to displace fear. I'm going to say, change the way you think. Then I'm going to say, change the way you talk. And these are lots more profound than they look right here on this little slide. And then I'm going to say, change the way you act. If you want to begin to displace fear in your life, change the way you think. And, you know, obviously, we, we, have, a, we have a Bible where we often use repent, and it means completely change the way you think about things. Change the way you talk. We'll be specific about that in a moment. Change the way you act. Keep these things in mind because they're kind of placeholders or hooks upon which we'll hang some other things. And we'll see how much I can share with you today and how, how, how good of a student you, you are. So change the way you think. First, Psalm 1, it, and, and throughout the scriptures, you know, this is frequent in the Bible. It talks about meditation. There's a huge thing in the Bible. Understand this, and I, and I want to say this. One of the things I think that Satan does to us is he, helps, he makes us want to believe that Bible verses are used like greeting card 
you know, sentiments or Bible verses like band-aids and that, oh yeah, you know, the Bible can't help me. I don't need a greeting card, you know, sentiment. I don't need a bumper sticker. I don't need a little Bible verse band-aid right now. Listen, we're talking about the word of the living God. The beginning of conquering any sin and particular fear is to believe that the Word of God is powerful and it's living and it's able. And so we meditate on the Word of God. We get our thinking and the way we think out of the Word of God. We saturate ourselves with truth from the Word of God. I said this before, and I will say it a bunch of times because it's really important. Think about it like this. What did Jesus come for you to... He came to save sinners and to give us life. I like to say it like this. He gave us life, natural life. Eternal life, and what else? Abundant life. See, I need to say this more because you, you don't have it memorized. You should have this memorized. Three kinds of life, right? Everybody's born, they get life. And they're born again, they get eternal life. And they're filled continuously with the Holy Spirit. They, have, they experience abundant life. This is what Jesus wants. How does that work? Life comes through truth. And so every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So Jesus' plan is that you would not just daily or weekly, but all the time continually think God's thoughts after him. The oracles of God, you speak the oracles of God, you think the word of God, your meditations should be things that are true out of the Bible. This is what Jesus wants for you, and it's his plan for you to have life. So if you every day eat the bread of truth, then you have vitality in your life. You believe truth and not lies, right? But there are plenty of lies to go around. And they come boiling up from inside you. They come from demons. They come from the culture. They come from the news. The lies everywhere. That's the way it is. Satan has a counterfeit for everything Jesus has, right? So Jesus wants you to have truth every day so that you have life. So Satan wants you to... He has a custom-made lie for you to believe every day so he can kill you. If, he, if you're a believer and he can't kill you and take you to hell, he wants to make your Christian life as ineffective and unlovely and unenjoyable as possible. He comes to kill and steal and destroy, and he does it through lies. That's what the Bible says. There's a huge construct you should have in your mind, and that is realize that probably every day of your life, Satan has in some way planted lies in your mind that if you believe them, they're going to end in the death of everything that's beautiful and real and good and true and valuable. But Jesus wants to speak truth into your life every day, specifically so that you have life more abundantly. So what's it going to be? Are you going to think God's thoughts after him? Saturate yourself with truth using the word or music or whatever it is to saturate your mind with truth or are you going to believe Satan's slow poisonous lies to destroy you it is really important that you identify the lies that you are tempted to believe and you want to help somebody like if you're a dad study your family carefully attentively and figure out what lies Satan is using to destroy them because he's doing that if you're a mother, ask God to give you wisdom about what, and usually, usually, not always, they're going to say something that's going to tip it off. And then you've got to do biblical research. There's no way around it. You've got to do biblical research, and you've got to put your head on it. You need to think carefully about it to think, what, what does the Bible say about this? And you've got to actually choose to think what the Bible says about it instead of what you're, the world or the flesh or the devil are saying about it. You listen to the world around you, they're not going to tell you God's thoughts. You listen to your own flesh, your natural inclinations are not going to be God's thoughts. 
And obviously, if there's demonic things going on, they're not going to be God's thoughts. But you can get God's thoughts from the Word. And this takes a bit of work. I'm just saying here, meditate. Change the way you think. Identify the fear. Identify the truth. It's like faith or fear. You take your pick. So you identify the fear, and then you identify the truth, that what God says is true, and this is what you meditate on. And I can give you tons of examples of that. An awareness of the presence of God is an example. Let's say you fear harm, somebody harming you, or, or maybe somebody that's opposing you like at work and giving you trouble, or a boss that's unsympathetic. You can, we can name a hundred different things. You, you fear ab- about people. Hebrew, meditate on something like this, Hebrews 13, uh, 5 and 6. It, it, he, it, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So, we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? You say, you got somebody that's opposing you. Memorize a passage like that. Or don't memorize it. Just put it on a card and read it every time that... So you choose what you think about. That person's going to destroy me. This is going to be the end of me. That's going to be the end of my job. This person's got it out for me. This person is so powerful. They can do this. Wait a minute. Haven't I said I will never leave you or forsake you? What can man do to you? If God is with us, who can be against us? My friend, listen, you just got to memorize and get in your heart, embedded in your heart, and grafted in your soul the truth of God. This is what separates the men from the boys, from the bold women, the bold and courageous godly women, from ones who are victims, right? You learn to live a life of faith based on the truth that God has said. Um, and in, in, in understand an awareness of God's presence and an awareness of God's working all around you all the time. And getting awareness of that, you do that through meditation. Henry Blackaby was talking about that, taught a man, a businessman, to be aware of what God might be doing around him all the time. So the guy wasn't normally like that. He goes, well, I think about God when I go to church, and every once in a while, like, you know, if I run a red light or something like that, but I, but I don't think about God working all the time. But he said, when you go to work, look around. Pay attention. God is at work. Join God in whatever he's doing at work. So he goes to work, and he looks across the room, and there's a guy eating lunch alone. And he thinks, is this you, God? He goes over and he talks with him and that very day this guy was in terrible desperate circumstance with his wife went to church with him that night heard the gospel late at night now they're sitting in the car and for the first time in his life he's able to hear the gospel because the worker realized that god was at work so you're aware that you have an enemy but are you aware that you have an ally and your ally is almighty god who never sleeps he never slumbers no one is more powerful than he is what's a greater reality to you your enemy or your god so when your god is a greater reality through meditation on who god is then fear will eventually have to leave Hebrews 2, 14 and 15, through death he might destroy him who has the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. That's a phrase you can meditate on. So you fear death. Well, Jesus came to release you from the fear of death and a lifetime of bondage that comes from the fear of death. You don't have to fear death. You can look forward to God's taking you home at the right time. We don't have to fear death. It's what he came for. Proverbs chapter 3 is an example. My son, don't, don't let them, this is the word of God, don't let them depart from your eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. They will be life to your soul, grace to your neck. And then you will walk safely by your way and your foot will not stumble. And when you lie down, you will not be afraid. 
What is he saying? If I meditate on God's word, and I meditate on God's word, it'll keep me safe, and when I lie down, I won't be afraid. I talked once with one who had inordinate fears. She'd been harmed in her youth and felt like her dad was inattentive and unaware of what was happening to her. And she projected that on God, that God is either unattentive or unwilling to help or not powerful enough to help her because she was so hurt in her youth. She needed to meditate on the fact that she has an unsleeping God who never misses anything. And He loves her and cares for her. And He watches over her and no harm can come to her until it's her time to go and to be with him. And so she dedicates herself to the Lord. And she says, God, I am yours. My body is yours. If you want me to live, I'll live for you. If you want me to die, I'll come and be with you. Then she's delivered from fear. Because she meditates on who God really is and what God has said. Listen, these are not little happy bumper stickers, passages, not little you know, sentiments for greeting cards, even though I like greeting cards. This is the living Word of God, which is powerful enough to help you in whatever it is you need help with. Don't let anyone tell you that the Word of God is just a little band-aid for your soul. It is the Word of the living God. It is our hope, and it has the ability to transform us. So change the way you think. Dedicate yourself to God. And I have a whole list, and I'm going to frustrate you badly right now, but if you want this list of things to do when you fear enemies or you have fear at night or fear of death or fear of nature or fear of tragedy or fear of the consequences of sin or any of these things, fear of danger and many others that can be custom-made for you, just search the Word and look for passages that are powerful to you that the Spirit will especially enliven for you. God takes His Word and He... and he quickens it. He enlivens it to you, right? Christians often say this. It's like the passage jumped off the page. This is a powerful word to me. God is using his word through the power of his Holy Spirit. And, you know, it won't make sense to other people. You'll say, I read this passage. It changed my life. They're going, really, that one? I, you know, that's nice. But because the Spirit applied it to you, this is the way he works. And so don't try to write this down, but send me an email. I'll send it to you. I've got to keep moving. Change the way you think. Change the way you think. That's huge. Change the way you talk. A couple of areas in praise and prayer. And we can talk about more than that, but, but like in praise and speaking truth. In Numbers, you have an example of the, the uh, spies that went into the land. Do you remember that? The spies go into the land, and in Numbers it says, but the men who had gone up said, we are not able to go up against the people. They are stronger than we. And I'm cutting through a really cool story for the sake of time. But remember this? Twelve spies go into the land, which is called what? The promised land okay it's promised he just wanted to do he just wanted to scout it and not shall we take it how shall we take it is the deal right but the 10 spies they come back and all they can do is the bible says made the heart of the people to melt which is a poetic way to say he they scared the bejabbers out of everybody they were afraid it's like they came back with such examples of how powerful the enemy was and they said we are not able you're writing down bejabbers aren't you I made that up. They were not able to overcome them. They're just too, you know, somebody says, you know, Joshua and Caleb saw the size of the grapes, <laughs> and they saw the size of the giants. Joshua and Caleb said, you know, I, the, Caleb later, when he's really old, this is an awesome old people story. I'm digging on this stuff now. It's like, he says, they made the heart of people to melt, but I what? I wholly follow the Lord my God. Yeah, he was probably scared too, but he's like, I'm gonna, I've been waiting too long for this. I'm, we're going in. I wholly follow the Lord my God. 
Joshua 14.8, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people to melt. But so, so they spoke things that they shouldn't have spoken. They said things repeatedly they shouldn't have said. God did not want them to come back and tell what a big, what big enemy. The enemy was big. They could have made reference to that. The enemy's big, but our God is greater. We must be really serious because it's serious there. We went, we saw it, it's serious business, but our God is greater. We're going to follow our leaders that have led us. What they said was, we need new leaders that are going to lead us back. <laughs> Wouldn't that be an awful job? We elected you to get us out of here. Back to Egypt. They actually thought about that. God had leaders that said, no, let's go into the land, we're going to conquer it. So they spoke things that weren't true, caught them 40 years, a whole generation. They should have said the right thing. Even in our church, this is true. And in your home, this is true. Speak the things that are right. Praise and speak things that are true. Talk about things that are true. This is what it says in Psalm 91. If you really want a powerful, like, super powerful passage on spiritual warfare and on fear, meditate on Psalm 91. Tom Harmon is going to be coming and speaking to us in February. He's written about this in his most recent book on spiritual warfare. He's going to speak to us, I think, about this. A whole study on Psalm 91. Get a, get a head start on that. Study Psalm 91, but notice that Psalm 91 says this. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High will abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord. I will say of the Lord. Get it? So in other words, it's like, I'm going to speak truth about God right now. So if you want to say how bad the enemy, are, the enemy is, just don't emphasize that. But spend a lot of time saying how powerful God is. Spend a lot of time singing about who God is. Spend a lot of time talking about what God can do. This is the last thing you want to do in your natural inclinations. You've got to change the way you talk if you want to conquer fear. Change the way you think. Change the way you talk. You know this. Prayer is a powerful, powerful way for us to spend hundred different kinds of prayer. The scriptures talk about different kinds of prayer. We, we won't go into that. We'll talk about it later. There's a beautiful prayer in one of Fernando Ortega's songs. Some of you know it. I, I, it's called Jesus, King of Angels. It's a, it's a prayer expressed in a beautiful song and a powerful song. I know a boy who had night terrors, terrible, terrible night terrors. And, and, and when we prayed, it was our son Daniel, when he was smaller, he had terrible night terrors. And it bothered us, like, why, why would he have these terrifying dreams? And so we prayed, and God delivered him. And I remember when he and Holly came to sit, sit in this pulpit and saying, Jesus, King of Angels, you watch over me when I'm sleeping tonight. You take care of me when I'm sleeping tonight. Don't let Satan invade my dreams. Let my dreams be pure and right and holy and strong and powerful and bold and courageous and good. Help me. We need him so much, folks. So if you need him, talk to him. There's no better way for help but to talk to the Lord. And Satan just want to come in and say, don't tell me just to look at the Bible and pray. Listen, you better look at the Bible and pray. That is powerful. Prayer is powerful. I call us back to prayer. I call our church to prayer. However that works. Clusters of prayer. Prayer meeting. Prayer at Awana. Prayer when the men meet. Prayer when the ladies meet. I call our church to prayer. We need to pray. We, this church needs what only God can do, right? Miracles of life change for people. People who are sick, struggling with dark sin. We need God to do what only God can do. And the only way to get what only God can do is to talk to God and ask Him to do what only He can do. Humble, simple, believing prayer. Change the way you talk. Pray. Sandy Hall gave me permission to tell you this. 
She happened into my study, and I said, Sandy, I know you've helped a lot of, of women. When, have you helped women with fear? Yes. I said, have you had this experience yourself? She said, yes. Of course, you know her husband, but it's with the Lord. But when he was living, and he would go away, and she was young, he would go away on, to, to take the youth on a trip. Then she would, the children would be there, and she'd be afraid in the night. I said, what did you do? She said, I walked from room to room, and I prayed over every room. And God took the fear away. So pray. Take out your list of church members and start praying for the church members. Be a member so you get on the list, right? Take out your list of pastors and the pastor's kids and pray for them. I'll pray for your kids too. You pray for my kids. Deal? I pray for you. You pray for me. We got to pray for each other. Only God knows the need that we have for prayer. We can't talk fast, tell cute stories, organize what only God can do. And that will come when we pray. And understand that when we speak or pray, then our moods and our spirit is contagious one way or the other. That's why the Bible says that in getting ready for war, uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 20 and verse 8, he says that you'd think you'd want as many people as possible, right? But that's not what the Bible says. In Deuteronomy chapter 20 and verse 8, what it says is, let, if you see that there's a man with you who is fearful and faint-hearted, let him go return to his house, lest his brethren's heart melt as his heart. And this is what Gideon did. If you're afraid, it says, if you're in war, you're fearful, go home. We just need a handful of really courageous people here. And I'm not sending any of you home. I love you. And the Lord is going to send you home. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that we're engaged in spiritual warfare and we must be bold because, because fear is, is um, it's, um, it contaminates others. It's contagious. That's the word I'm looking for. Fear is contagious and faith is contagious. So there's a third thing, and I'll be quick. And that is the change the way you act. This is a big thing. The basis of this primarily is in Romans chapter 6. In Romans chapter 6, and I'm just going to paraphrase a bit, take your Bible and study carefully Romans chapter 6 from verses 15 through 23. 15 through 23. Romans chapter 6, verses 15 through 23. And I'm going to give you a simple, kind of a simple synopsis of this. And that is this. How did you learn to be so good at sin so it became habitual to you? And some of you right now, like you're struggling with things, and you know what they are, right? And you say, well, I tried to stop, and I know they're wrong but I can't stop. And now, because it's a habit, right? And we all have this experience. Some people say that's what the Bible's referring to usually when it's using the term flesh, a a nature habituated to sin. And so Paul says, you all understand that because that happens to you. Romans chapter 6, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as you have yielded your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto death, even so now yield your members as instruments of righteousness Remember the things that you did before they ended in death and these things end in life. That's what it says in Romans 6 in the synopsis. What fruit did you have in those things of which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death, the Bible says. But now having been set free from sin, having become slaves of God, we have our fruit of the holiness and the end of that is everlasting life because the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. So which side of that do you want to be on? Here's the deal, guys. If you just simply obey when Satan tempts you or when your flesh tempts you or when the world around tempts you and you obey that and you do it again and again, it's going to be your nature. That's going to be 
your habit, powerful, binding habits able to take you to hell. But if through the power of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit enlightens you about something true and you learn to obey that once and then you obey it again in the power of the Holy Spirit, that leads to life and holiness. So it just sounds overly simplistic, but if you want to conquer any sin like fear, obey and then obey again. And thank God He gave you the power and then do it again until it becomes your habit because that's the way God wired you. And I have good news for you. This is supercharged by the Holy Spirit. This is spiritually empowered by the Holy Spirit. Believe it. That's what the Bible says. You can have your obedience superpowered by the Holy Spirit so, you've, so you go day after day after day building longer periods of obedience and your times of failure are fewer and farther between. Less frequency, less intensity. You're growing in holiness. This is how it works. So obey. Now one of the ways to do that is simple. I'm going to give you some quick stories. They're not long. Quick stories that will help you see this in a clear way. Here's a woman who's afraid to fly. She passes up opportunities to to go on vacations to exotic places and, and promotions because she's afraid to fly. One day her daughter is injured and she has a life-threatening injury. She needs to be life-flighted to the hospital, and the mother gets on the helicopter with no fear and flies with, his, with her daughter to the hospital. Here's a young teenage boy, and he saved his money, and he bought himself a vintage Mustang convertible. He worships the car. He can't bring himself to let anyone, his closest family members, drive it. He's the only one who drives his vintage Mustang convertible. And, and, and then one day... He falls in love, and they see this young girl driving the car around town. There's a man who hates social situations. It's hard for him to meet new people. He breaks into a cold sweat when he thinks about having to initiate the simplest conversation with a stranger. He's meekly, mildly driving home from work one day. He sees a house is on fire and people in the upstairs. He stops his car, bolts into the house, goes upstairs, and he saves the people who are going to be dead in the fire. There's a woman who's on a turbulent flight, and the pilot warns the passengers there's grave danger. And the woman has this remarkable calm, and when the plane eventually lands safely, the flight attendant says, how can you remain so calm and composed on the flight? Her answer was this, I have two daughters. One of them lives in New York, and the other one's been in heaven for years. I knew in a few minutes I was going to see one or the other of my daughters, and it didn't matter to me which one. Now tell me, folks, what was the powerful thing that helped these people overcome their fear? It was love, because the Bible says that. Perfect, mature love conquers, throws fear out of the ring. And so you, may, you have a job to do. Think about it like this. You have a task to perform. You have a job to do. Ever much as Mary had and Joseph had and Zacharias had and the shepherds had. You have a job to do. You have a calling to fulfill. You have people who need you. You cannot be paralyzed by fear because there are people who need you. And God of the universe wants to use you. And so the love that you have for them should cause you to be able to do things you couldn't normally do because perfect love is that way. God is not giving us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I had a guy tell me one time, he said, if you're afraid in a situation like to witness or to exercise your spiritual gift or to meet somebody, imagine that you have a roll of $100 bills in your pocket and you're just looking for people to give them to. So if you walk into that place where you're normally intimidated, but you're smiling because you think, I'm just here to give away money. Anybody want to meet me? Anybody want to know my name? Anybody want to come over here? Because I have something to give. That's what the Scripture says. A man, or it's true of the women, a man or woman, their gift makes a room for them, brings them before great men. When you recognize you have something to give, when you recognize you have something to do, 
when you recognize, yes, how do our soldiers and sailors, armed service people, overcome the enormous fear they must have, the natural fear they would have? I'm not sure. But I think they're instilled with a sense of duty and loyalty and love. They have a task to accomplish. They're acting, ideally, in love for others. And they're willing, like that teacher, to step in front of the gun to just maybe save the life of maybe one of those little children. Friends, we have people who are in peril all around us. Christmas should remind us about this. People have the name of Jesus on their lips, but they don't know Him. Many of them don't know Him. It's our job to show up, show up in their lives. And to do that, it's going to take boldness. It's going to take courage. We're going to have to have the love that overcomes fear. Let me conclude. It's Christmas. It's a reminder that God is at work in this world. Don't ever doubt that. And though there are powers of darkness at work, and we see them around us and they crush us, God and his angels are at work in this world. And he is also at work through agents of redemption like you and me. Agents of redemption, telling the good news, helping push back the darkness, helping people understand the way to eternal life. And if we're paralyzed by fear, then we can't do what, what it is that God has called us to do. So let's rise up courageously, boldly, act courageously. Let's think different. Let's talk differently. Let's think differently. Let's act differently. And may God help you in this. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we know what the song says is true where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. Now, Lord, I pray for anyone who's here, and I'm sure there are many, and they're not confident that they have eternal life. And the days go by, we get older and older, and our bodies remind us, you're going to die, you're going to die, you're going to die. And that you came, Lord Jesus, to conquer the fear of death, so that we can say, yes, when I die, my eternal life begins. If I'm killed, my eternal life begins. If this heart in my body stops beating, God gives me a new body which will never pass away in the presence of Jesus. Lord, I pray right now as we conclude this service that those who are, have question marks over their soul, those who aren't confident that they have eternal life, would seek help from a loving Christian, would stay afterward and ask for help, and that we would be able to show them how they can have eternal life. Help all of us who suffer from fear to think your thoughts after you. Lord, to, to think differently and to talk differently and to act differently and to be a bold and courageous people. Amen. Stand together. Let's, let's conclude in singing.